Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in on our sermon series through the Book of Romans. Throughout history, this has been regarded as the greatest letter ever written. It has been used by God to change people's lives for centuries, and we have prayed that God would use it to change your life as well. In a world full of bad news, Romans is about good news, and we hope God uses this sermon to help you believe and enjoy the good news of the gospel. Thanks for listening. The scripture for today is Romans 7, 7 through 25. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Amen, amen. You guys grab a seat. Thank you, David and Ben, for leading us in that time of worship. Two beautiful songs about the love of God in Christ Jesus towards us. That's why we gather. That's why we celebrate. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. I want to say welcome to everybody who's here in the room and welcome to you who are joining us on live stream. We're grateful that you're able to join us that way and we hope to meet you soon. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you myself, my name is James Valet and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Redeemer and I get the opportunity and the privilege to preach several times a year and so I'm excited and honored this morning to be able to open up God's word with you and I'm particularly excited about this morning's text. I feel like I say that every time. But I'm particularly excited about this morning's text because I believe that it will speak to every believer in this room, every believer who's listening and watching on the live stream. It is applicable to everyone, everywhere, during all times. We're back in the book of Romans this morning. So if you haven't been with us, if you're new with us this morning, we've been, for the the majority of the year, we've been walking through the book of Romans chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Uh, looking at this letter, then we recently took a three-week break in an attempt to equip the church, to encourage you to serve. It was titled, Let's Go. So we took three weeks and talked about 
um, serving in the church and serving in the city this summer. Now we're back in the book of Romans. So we'll be in Romans 7 this morning. If you don't know anything about Romans, Romans is simply a letter written by a man in the first century. The Apostle Paul, he was a pastor, he was a missionary, and he writes this letter, Romans, that we know is the book of Romans. He writes it to the Christian church in Rome to explain to them the gospel, the good news of Jesus that he preached. It is a phenomenal piece of literature in itself and it is the clearest explanation of the Christian faith ever written. So I'm excited to be back in Romans this morning. As I said, we'll be in Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at the whole thing, so we've got a lot of ground to cover. And I want to take a second to review where we've been to kind of give us some context where we are. If you're like me, if you take a three-week break, you need some refreshers to understand kind of what we've been talking about, where we've been in the book of Romans. So here's a brief review. Romans chapters 1 through 5 are largely about justification. Romans chapter 1 through 5, largely about justification. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul establishes the fact that we're all sinners, all guilty before God. Every single human being that's ever lived on planet Earth apart from Jesus Christ is born in sin, separated from God, guilty before God, and in need of justification. And then in chapter, at the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul tells us how we can be justified. So he says justification is by faith in Christ alone, as we just sang about. When I trust in Jesus Christ, when I place my faith in him, his, in his blood poured out for me, my debt is paid, my sin is erased. My sin is credited to Jesus Christ and his righteousness is credited to me and God declares me justified. That's what Paul breaks down in Romans chapter 3 and 4. And then in Romans chapter 5, he talks about some benefits of justification. He says, not only do you have peace with God now, but God has poured out his love on you. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit, all of these wonderful blessings. So Romans 1 through 5 is largely about justification. It starts about why you need to become a Christian, how you be, can become a Christian, and then some benefits to the Christian life. Then in Romans chapter 6 through 8, Paul kind of switches gears and starts to talk about sanctification. And sanctification is just a big word for the lifelong process of a Christian becoming more like Christ. So after chapters 1 through 5, it's like, okay, now that we're justified, now that we're right with God, so what now? Do we continue to live the same? It's like, no, absolutely not. These things have changed about you. So in chapter 6, he breaks down, like, what happened to you when you were justified? You were united, you were united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, and that changed you. That, that broke sin's power over you. Sin no longer has dominion over you. And then he challenges us at the end of Romans 6, now be what you are. Now live like that is true. And then in chapter 7, he says, and when you begin to live like that is true, here's what you can expect as a Christian. That's what we're going to talk about today. Romans chapter 8, he eventually gets to, and here's ultimately how you can live victoriously as a Christian. And some beautiful, glorious truths in chapter 8 that we'll get to. But like I said, we're going to be focusing in on chapter 7. And it's basically what you can expect as a Christian. Paul informs these Romans and us what we can expect as a Christian. And it's this. As a Christian, in the Christian life, you can expect to bear fruit for God. And you can expect to fight sin. As a Christian, you can expect for God to do wonderful, amazing, incredible things through you and see him work through you in people's lives. And you can also expect ugly fights and battles with sin every day. Those two seem so opposite. How can they coexist? That's why I think this is so important for us to talk about today. That's why I think it's going to apply to everybody in the room and everybody listening and watching 
on our live stream. So I think about it like this. Think about a big, beautiful tree. I know that's hard to do here in West Texas. I probably, I love trees. I probably love trees so much because I was raised where there was no trees. And so like I value a big, beautiful tree. I have a favorite tree in our neighborhood. When we go for walks, I have a favorite live oak tree. As we walk by it, it's beautiful. It's just perfect. It seems like this big round tree and the branches are all nicely trimmed. The owner takes care of it. It's wonderful. I love that tree. I look at it and say, that's a perfect tree. I wish it was in my front yard. But my favorite tree is at our lease in Sterling City. There's an enormous, stunningly beautiful pecan tree that is just gigantic. And it has been there for centuries. And it is beautiful. And it is in the middle of just this green meadow. And it's right next to a creek um, that's often dry. But when there's water in it, it's a creek. It's beautiful. And the tree is beautiful regardless. You can look at that tree from afar. We were there a few weeks ago. And you can look at that tree from afar and just say, that thing is beautiful. It's just amazing. Like, look at that tree. It's awesome. And you can walk up to that tree and you can pick some of the fruit that it's produced, pecans. And you can enjoy those pecans. I'm tempted to think, man, this tree is just perfect. I love it. I love everything about this tree. But never before until this week had I thought about this tree in this way. Like, this tree has been through some things. This tree's roots are like struggling every day to reach down into the soil to pull any kind of moisture out of the West Texas soil so that that tree can live. That tree has survived droughts. I know it. That tree has survived intense freezes. I know it. That tree has survived tornadoes. That tree has likely been attacked by whatever kind of bugs try to attack trees and destroy them. That tree's existence has been far from perfect. It produces beautiful fruit but yet it's engaged in a daily battle to stay alive against its enemies, the elements and bugs. And Paul is saying in chapter 7, that is is very similar to what we can expect as a Christian. We can expect to bear beautiful fruit for God, for God to do amazing things for us, for us to witness God do awesome, wonderful, glorious things that will echo into eternity. And we can expect to fight against sin. We can expect to struggle with sin. Sometimes we'll be victorious, and sometimes we'll find ourselves doing the things that we hate. That is what Paul talks about in Romans 7. So what I'd like to do is I want to look at verses 1 through 6 very briefly. I say briefly because Pastor Jason has already hit on them in the weeks past, but I want to revisit them and look at how we can bear fruit for God and what it says and establish this reality that we will bear fruit for God. And then we'll focus in on verses 7 through 25, and we'll kind of see the fight with sin and the struggle that's there. So read with me in your Bibles. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Paul refers to the law here in 1 through 6, and what he's doing is he's he's really going back to Romans chapter 6, verse 14, when he says, Sin will no longer have dominion over you because you're not under the law but under grace. Then he kind of leaves the law for a second. He returns to it here in chapter 7. He starts talking about the law. So that's what he's getting at here in Romans 7. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies... She is free from that law. And, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, 
so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So point number one, as a Christian, you can expect to bear fruit for God. I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage that stood out to me. Number one, the Christian religion is about love. Christianity is about love and grace, not knowledge and good works or religiosity. Christianity is about love. Paul uses the illustration of marriage. And anybody who's been married, anybody whose marriage is a picture of the gospel knows that it's not about the good deeds of your spouse. It's not because your spouse is perfect. It's because you love them. It's about love. That marriage isn't founded on works. It's founded on love. Christianity is about love. Ultimately, as we just sang about, there is no greater love. Before we loved God, God loved us. God loved us when we were his enemies. God loved us when we were unlovable. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has changed all those who believe and given them hearts that can now love God back and love others. Christianity is about love. Paul teaches that in marriage, it's about love, not the law. As Paul teaches that in marriage, he uses marriage as this illustration to show that it's about love and not the law because he says, in marriage, if a woman is married to a man and the man dies, well, then the woman is no longer under that law to stay married to her husband. He says, so also you brothers, you have died to the law. Like if you're dead, you don't have to obey the law. When I die, I don't ever have to worry about obeying New Mexico's ridiculously slow speed limit laws ever again. Amen. When you're a Christian, you've died to this obligation to perfectly obey the law to earn a relationship with God through your obedience. You've died to that, and you're set free to belong to another. You no longer belong to the law. You're set free to belong to another. And not only are you free from the law, but the one that you love and marry is Christ Jesus himself. And that is why the second thing I'd like for you to notice is that this Christian love is, is life-changing. Marriage is life-changing. Marriage to the person you love is life-changing. Amen? Amen from all the married people. It is life-changing. I know there's, we say, like, don't marry that person because you won't change them. But when you get married, some things about you do change. I used to work out all the time and cycle and run, and now I eat homemade pie. Amen. That's right. I used to uh, be able to choose wherever I wanted to go on vacations and holidays, and now I have long conversations about how we can see every friend and family member on every holiday. I used to only have myself to worry about in anything. And now I have four other human souls that depend on me and look to me. And one of those souls is my lifelong companion who loves me and supports me and calls me out when I need to be called out and corrects me when I need to be corrected, but cares for me and supports me uh, in, a, in an incredible way, in a way that has changed me. Marriage is incredible and it changes you. And that's not to minimize singleness. It's not to minimize singleness. Singleness is a very important phase of life, and it's a special gift given to some people. But Paul is using marriage as an illustration here. And if marriage, if marriage in, in, 
in the human way is that life-changing, how much more life-changing is marriage to Jesus Christ? How much more life-changing is that going to be? Paul emphasizes this in verse 4 when he says that you died to the law so that you may belong to another. And who is this other? The one who was raised from the dead. My wife is wonderful, but she has never come back from the dead. Being united to Jesus Christ is a life-changing thing, and that's whether you're married in this life or single. You belong to another. If you're a Christian, you belong to another, and you belong to him who was raised from the dead. Praise God. And that changes you. That changes you. In verse 4, it changes you specifically in the way in, in, in the way that Paul is talking about, so that you may bear fruit for God, so that you may serve in the new way of the Spirit. So it's not like the law and works are just completely have nothing to do with the Christian life. It's that it's based on a foundation of love and marriage and union to Christ. And then out of that flow bearing fruit for God. And out of that flows service in the way of the Spirit. Just as a tree can produce enjoyable fruit, so producing fruit for God can look like anything. It can look like praying for someone. It can look like leading someone to Christ. It can look like serving your neighbor. The, the possibilities are endless. Bearing fruit for God is doing something in someone's life that's going to make an eternal difference. And we are united to Christ so that we may bear fruit for God. So that's one thing you can expect as a Christian, for God to work through you and produce and, and do awesome things through you. You can expect to bear fruit for God. Number two, in the Christian life, you can also expect to fight sin. The Christian life also consists of fighting sin. This next section that we're about to get into is a big section. So I've broken it down into three parts. Basically the first two parts, Paul anticipates and answers questions about the law and sin. And then in the last part, he talks about the fight with sin. So the first question he asks is this, is the law sin, verses 7 through 12. So read with me in verse 7 of Romans chapter 7. He says, what, shall, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive from apart, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So Paul asks the question or anticipates the question. So if, if we had to die to the law, if the law produced death in us and we had to die to the law in order to be united with Christ, is the law bad? Like, so does that mean the law is sin? And he answers, by no means. Absolutely not. May it never be. Like away with the thought. No, the law is not sin, but it certainly makes us aware of sin. The law says don't want other people's stuff. Don't lust after him or her. Don't lie. Don't gossip. Honor your father and mother. The law says these things. And the law says, God says these things in his law not to oppress us and not to keep us from fun in life and joy. 
and not to keep us from good things, but the law function as guardrails precisely to lead us to what will be most satisfying for our souls and to a place where God can lavish his good gifts upon us. So the law is not bad intended to keep us from good. The do's and don'ts of the law, they're intended for our good. The law is not sin. The law is good. But sin takes the law and uses it as a lever to pry open in our hearts and then out comes all sorts of lust and disrespect and lies and gossip. So the law, sin uses the law as a lever to open up our hearts and all those things come flying out, fill in the blank. Sin sees this opportunity put forward by the law and it killed us. This then leads to the next question. If, did the law then kill us? Did the law bring death? Look at verses 13 through 14. Did that which is good, the law is holy and righteous is good, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means, it was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. So did the law produce death in me? If sin grabs the law and pries open all of these sinful things out of my heart and then I die, so is it the law that produced death? No, it was sin. The law did not bring death, sin did. Sin took something beautiful and good, designed for our good, and used it to produce death in us, to show the ugly and evil nature of sin. Paul says that the law is good and spiritual, but he himself in his sinful nature, in his flesh, still finds himself struggling with external and indwelling sin. And then he launches into his autobiography, this fight with sin. So let's read this next portion of Scripture, verses 15 through 24. And hang with me, because this is an interesting passage of Scripture. It feels a little bit like reading a Dr. Seuss book, if you know that. We love those. Verse 15, he says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Very confusing passage of scripture. That is some Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde stuff going on. That is some Bruce Banner turning into the Hulk. Like, I don't want to do this thing, but I find myself doing it. I don't want to drink that potion that turns me into that thing, but I have to do it because I just can't not do it. There are periods of my life when I fail and I can't do the right thing that I want to do. Now, there are many different takes on this passage of Scripture. A, this is one of the most, uh, I would argue, one of the most confusing passages of Scripture in the Bible. 
And there are many people who believe many different things about it. But I would say the two most predominant views are well, there's one group that says that this is Paul describing his pre-conversion experience. This is Paul before he was a Christian. Because in Romans chapter 6, Paul says, like, I'm no longer a slave to sin. And then here in Romans chapter 7, he says, I'm sold in sin. How can you be a sla- uh, not, no longer a slave to sin, and then how can you be sold back into slavery to sin? Like, what is this? This is, not, this is Paul talking about before he was converted. As Paul saying, sin dwells in me. In chapter 6, he says, we're dead to sin. We've been crucified with Christ. Dead to sin. So they say this is Paul before his conversion. He says, it's not me doing it. It's sin in me. This is somebody who's dominated and ruled by sin. Those are good arguments. Ultimately, I don't find them convincing. There's another group and myself that think that this is Paul describing his own experience as a Christian who has been delivered from the penalty of sin and who has been delivered from the enslaving power of sin, but still finds himself struggling in the presence of sin. He has not yet been delivered from the presence of sin. Paul knows there is no more condemnation for him through Christ Jesus, his Lord. He knows that he has been justified by faith and he stands before God as righteous but he still struggles in the presence of sin. I believe this is the case because if you look at verse 11, Paul says that the law of God is holy and righteous and good. That does not sound like a lost person. The law is holy and righteous and good. In verse 22, he says, in my innermost being, I delight in the law of God. In the deepest parts of my heart and soul, I love God's law does not sound like a lost person to me. And all throughout this passage, you see Paul's deep hatred for sin. He hates that he struggles with sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this miserable life? Who will deliver me from this struggle? That does not sound like a lost person. Lost person in scripture is described as one who loves the darkness rather than light. This is Paul describing himself as a Christian in his struggle with sin. And this is part of the Christian life. Look at verse 14. We can expect these things as a Christian. Look at verse 14. I do not do the things I want. I do the things I hate. Verse 17. Sin, sin still dwells in me. Verse, that's verse 17. Verse 18. I desire to do good, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, I don't do the good I want, I do the evil I hate. Verse 21, when I want to do good, evil is close by. Verse 22 through 23, there's a constant fight within me between obeying the law of God and struggling with sin. This is part of the Christian life. You can expect to bear fruit for God and you can expect to struggle with sin. Christians in the room, have you experienced this? I know that you have. I know that you have. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I know that you've gone through seasons when you are saying, praise God, you are awesome. Thank you so much for these blessings in my life. Thank you so much for working through me to have that conversation with that person. I see you moving through me in the lives of other peoples. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. My personal devotion time is exploding into my life and I'm seeing scripture played out for me. You're just on fire for the Lord. 
Then you go home, you yell at your kids. You go out and you drink too much. You find yourself looking at things you don't want to look at. You find yourself disrespecting your parents, arguing. You say, I'm never going to do that again. I hate that. Never going to do that again. I'm never going to yell at my kids again. I hate it when I lose my temper. I'm never going to treat my spouse that way again. I hate that. I feel remorse over it. I'm never going to drink that much again. I'm never going to look at that stuff again. You do good for a week, do good for a month, then you find yourself falling again. You find yourself yelling at your kids again. You find yourself struggling with these things again. I have been there. I know it is way more fun for me to talk about the deep darkness that I was in and the addictions that I was a slave to and how God delivered me from those things. And how he saved me and changed my heart and gave me new desires. It is way more fun to talk about that than to talk about the sin I've struggled with since becoming a Christian. It's way more fun to talk about that deliverance than to talk about my failures as a husband and as a father. But they're real and they're very important. It's important for us to recognize this and admit this humbling reality. And it's very important for us to understand it so that we can know we have hope. Paul doesn't end here, and Paul doesn't leave us here. He goes on to verse 25, and he tells us that deliverance only comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 7, verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul is right as he explodes here at the end of this despairing section of Scripture. And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. With all of my being, I'm going to endeavor to serve the law of God with all of who I am. And I recognize that I'm still going to struggle with sin in this life. But deliverance comes through not focusing on myself, but through focusing on Jesus Christ Paul has focused on himself in this chapter. There's over 30 personal pronouns in verses 7 through 25. Over 30 personal pronouns. I, me, my. I, me, my. I, me, my. And just like Jason taught us last week, it's not by focusing on yourself more or thinking of yourself more often or more highly. Paul has done that. And Paul finds deliverance in not focusing on himself but in focusing on Christ, what God has done for us in Christ. He finds deliverance in thinking of himself less and thinking of Jesus more. As I was talking to my brother, Zach, this week, he put this struggle very concisely. I like the way he said it. I'd never heard this before. He said, Jesus Christ has effectively delivered Christians from reigning sin, but not from remaining sin. So sin no longer reigns on our hearts, but sin remains in the world around us and sin remains in our hearts, just not on the throne. And if we're going to succeed in this Christian life, we must focus not on ourselves more. We must focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, not despising the shame. He suffered against sin to the point of bloodshed. None of us have struggled against sin that much. If we focus on ourselves, we'll find Despair, if we focus on Christ, we'll find victory. Surrender to the leading and pruning and guiding of the Holy Spirit, which Paul's about to describe beautifully in chapter 8. 
there's this shift that changes right here at the end of chapter 7. Up to this point, Paul has been looking within all of the personal pronouns. Only one mention of the Holy Spirit in all of chapter 7. We serve in the new way of the Spirit. That's the only time the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And over 30 personal pronouns. Paul's been focusing within. In chapter 8, it completely switches. Here he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in chapter 8, he launches into how the Christian can live the victorious life through the power of the Holy Spirit. He only mentions one personal pronoun in chapter 8. There's over 20 references to the Holy Spirit and countless references to Jesus Christ our Lord. So deliverance only comes through focusing on Christ. We will find victory in thinking of ourselves less, not less of ourselves, but in thinking of ourselves less and in thinking of Christ and others more. So that's Romans chapter 7 in a nutshell. Obviously, we could spend weeks and weeks on Romans chapter 7, but that's it. The Christian life is going to consist of bearing beautiful fruit for God and God doing wonderful things through you, and it's also going to consist of ugly battles with sin daily, every Christian no matter how perfect they look on the outside, no matter how long they've been a Christian, we all struggle with things. They may be different things. Thank God I don't struggle with some of the things I used to struggle with, but I still struggle with pride, self-centeredness daily. So every Christian will bear fruit for God and struggle with sin. And we can't overcome this on our own. The Apostle Paul can't overcome this on his own. We cannot expect to overcome this on our own. That's why God has provided his son, Jesus Christ, and a church full of people who are going through the same thing that we're going through, who are bearing fruit for God and who are fighting sin. So that's how I would sum up Romans chapter 7. And there's a couple of things I want you to remember. I'd love for you to remember everything I just said, but I know that's not likely. So I would like for you to remember a couple of things. Number one, remember that Christianity is about love. Remember that Christianity is about love. This will be very practical in your life in two ways. One, it will humble you when you're bearing fruit for God. And two, it will keep you from despair when you're failing. Remember that Christianity is about God's love for you. It's not about your, your standing with God is not about your works. It's about his love for you. So when you're killing it, when you're crushing it for God and bearing fruit for God, like that tree that looks perfect and is bearing fruit, Remember that that's not of yourself. That's not because you're a gifted, talented, charismatic personality. That's because God loved you and God changed you and God gave you those gifts so that you could bear fruit for him. So be humbled and remember to give glory to God. And then it's only because of the love of God that you're able to do those things. So let it humble you. Remember, Christianity is about love. Number two, remember that, that uh, I mean, number two, let it help you in despair when you're not killing it when you're not crushing it as a Christian, when you're feeling like a failure and you can't do what's right, when you're that tree that's not bearing any fruit and it's just hanging on during a drought and just trying to survive that freeze in that cold season of life, remember that your standing with God is not based on your works, but it's about love. God loves you. God loves you in Christ before the world began. Remind yourself of that. Don't despair. We're about to sing one of my favorite songs, it's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. Think about the words to that song as we sing it. And think about how much Jesus loves you and how he will hold you even when your love for him is cold. And be grateful. So let, remember that Christianity is about love and let it keep you from pride and despair. Number two, remember the ugliness of sin. This passage has been misused and abused. 
by people to say, well, well, look, I mean, the Apostle Paul struggled with sin, so I'm going to struggle with sin too. You know, I mean, like, it's not me, it's sin in me. You know, if it's like, I mean, goodness gracious, we're all going to sin and it's just this thing, it's no big deal. I'm just going to continue in sin. I might as well do it. I'm going to lose the battle sometimes anyways. That is not, if that's your approach to sin and God's grace and God's love, then I would, I would argue you'd never been changed by God's love and God's grace. That is not Paul's attitude here. He says, I hate sin. He's like, I hate that I struggle with this. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, somebody please come deliver me from this body of death. That should be our attitude towards sin. Remember the ugliness of sin. Remember that it cost God his son. The cost of sin, that sin that you're thinking of right now in your life, Jesus had to die for. The only innocent person who ever deserved not to die ever in history died for my mistakes, died for your mistakes. They're not just nothings and trivialities. It's not to be taken lightly. It's ugly. Remember the ugliness of sin. Number three, remember the victory is not found within. Lastly, I would just remind Christians in the room, if when you struggle with sin, remember that the victory is not found within. That rhymed, I didn't mean it to. Remember that victory is only, deliverance only comes through Jesus Christ our Lord, not from focusing within, but focusing without. Remember that you're not alone in this. The Apostle Paul struggled with sin. You're going to struggle with sin. Don't look within yourself for power, but focus on Christ. Focus on the cross. There's some lyrics to a hymn that I love. It's called Before the Throne of God. And it says this. It says, when Satan tempts me to despair and reminds me of the guilt within... It says, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Praise God for that. When you find yourself struggling with sin and Satan's tempting you to just look at your failures and look at your guilt and feel the shame of your sin, look at Jesus on the cross for you and be grateful for that. And if you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus, if you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, victory over life struggles, victory over your struggles with sin, establishing a relationship with God is not going to come from you focusing within either. It's not going to come from anything you can do or anything you can produce on your own. It's not good enough. If you don't believe in Jesus, when you look in your heart, you're going to find unbelief. If you look at your life, you may find good deeds, but you'll find self-righteousness, pride, and ultimately, if you look deep enough within, you're going to find an emptiness there that only Christ can fill, a hunger there and a thirst there that only Jesus can satisfy. So if that's you listening to this, I plead with you to trust in Jesus today. Don't focus within, focus on Christ. Praise God that you're recognizing that and look to Jesus crucified for you and trust in him. He will save you. He'll give you new life. He'll give your life meaning. He'll give you the ability to bear fruit for God and the ability to fight sin. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Father, we thank you for loving us and adopting us into your family before time began. God, we thank you for your love. There is no greater love. God, we thank you that your love changes us, changes what we are, changes who we are. 
I thank you that your love enables us to bear fruit for you. God, give us grace to leave this place and bear fruit for you and further your kingdom, not for our own renown, God, but for your glory. God, I pray that you would help us those in this room who are defeated by sin right now and just feel crushed by the weight of patterns of sin in their life. God, I pray that they would, they would, they would lift their gaze and see Jesus, see victory in him. I pray that they'd be filled with your spirit and strengthened to live a new life for your glory and for your honor. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on this podcast. We would love for you to join us at one of our in-person services as well. For more information or to support our ministry, please visit RedeemerMidland.org.